This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by eight amazing people. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Michael Fritschke, Dr. O in Teberg, and Doug Malam. Thank you all so very much for helping make this show possible. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight, uh, we have a show that was recorded when I went down for Alba Twitch. So it's myself... It is Christopher Ernst, it is Timothy Renner of Strange Familiars, and Tyler Strand, who some of you may know from Hellier and The Unbinding. So he had come out, and we were hanging out afterwards, and we decided to do a show. So I think this went in really interesting directions, and the Patreon for this is also pretty awesome. It's also a swap cast with Strange Familiars, so you're going to hear the same show there, too. Um so I guess this is uh, where strange roads go, maybe? I don't know. Any way you want to turn that around. Uh, but yeah, so I hope you enjoy this. Here you go. Welcome to the square table. The square table. The, the rectangle table. Mm-hmm. It's not a round then table. Where did the strange familiars go? <laughs> Straight to hell. Strange, yeah. did the, strange did the road. <laughs> Go. <laughs> strange How was strange. Did the road go? Strange was the road that did go. Hi, Tim. Hello, Sarai. How are you doing? All right. I got I got Chris here. Hey. And we also have. Welcome to Strand Familiar. Strand Familiar. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Tyler Strand. I dragged Tyler Strand kicking and screaming from Alba Twitch Day. You didn't want to leave the mud. <laughs> <laughs> It was very enticing mud. To the table. I'm used to crawling around in mud. <laughs> so we are here. I've been bugging you to come on the podcast for a while. And I figured since you're since you're in the area, maybe we can just do it now. Plus, I, you, I, plus you told him he can't leave unless he does it. <laughs> and and being like, held at gunpoint. So you're, you're setting a new bar for all future guests of Strange Familiars because you provided me with this awesome pumpkin hard cider. And I don't think any other guest has ever done that. So. It's good, right? Yeah, it's awesome. So, future guests of Strange Familiars, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, there's a new bar. <laughs> well, you were, uh, many of us are enjoying various pumpkin-related drinks. Yes. Fresh from Alba Twitch Day, which was a muddy mess, but, but fun still. I was there for the last hour. Yeah. Cold, wet day, but still good. Still. I, I was glad I wasn't there for the torrential downpour that hit about... <laughs> 30 minutes before I got there. Yeah, it got a couple times throughout the day. I'm glad we had a tent, but that tent was not enough. That is a tent to protect you from the sun, not from the rain. Oh, okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well. So, for those who don't know, Tyler was involved in the Hellier Project and the Unbinding. How did you meet those folks, the Hellier folks? Oh, you know, it's kind of a weird, funny, long story. With my involvement in all this kind of high strangeness, I've been interested in it since I was in my teen years. And uh, I was always kind of on the outskirts of it. I I grew up in a really isolated town. 
and I was really disconnected even from the pop culture aspects of this stuff. So I didn't have the upbringing most people did in this. And I didn't really have a whole lot of value in the pop culture aspects. So when it came to knowing other people in the field, that was really alien to me. Like even events were alien to me that there were things like paracons and stuff like that. Like alien in the sense that you didn't even know they were. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't know they existed. I, I didn't know they existed. It was really strange. And there was a year before I went away to college to study special makeup and effects that I had been considering what I want to do with my life. I, I've always been in these weird topics, these strange pursuits, but, you know, the paranormal isn't a job necessarily, so making monsters instead of hunting them was the next viable option for me. But that was a pivotal year when, thankfully for my mother, she wanted to go to a Paracon event. I didn't know these things existed. She asked me if I wanted to tag along, and I almost said no because I didn't want to hear a bunch of celebrities gloat about their fake ghost stories. <laughs> But I ended up going, and I actually had a really great time, and it it kind of reopened my mind to realizing I couldn't ignore these things, which I had been doing a lot up to that point, because I, I myself had stepped away, because I felt like I was getting a little too untethered at times in my, in my youth, so I kind of married myself to the idea of taking whatever it is that I learned in my special makeup and effects schooling and trying to put that towards paranormal pursuits so through these events you know i slowly started hearing names pop up and it wasn't until having some face-to-face -face conversations with the colleagues i have now that those relationships built and grew from there so it was all kind of unexpected and organic i had no no plans to be doing what it is i do now let alone sitting at this table <laughs> and yet here we are <laughs> and i'm honored to be here um so, unexpected as well. I, I should clarify, I did not know Tim was going to do this podcast yeah. episode. Yeah, so. I, I dropped it on you. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. Surprise. You said you mentioned being into this stuff when you were younger. I was. In what sense? Like, what form did that take? Yeah, did you have experiences? I did, actually. And it was kind of, even that had a stranger startup. So, when I was in my youth... I became interested in occult topics and all that entails. You know, it hooks you, I think, in the various ways as, as it sure. does. Even if just, you know, visually, you see these, yeah. these old artworks and you, you want to understand what they mean. You know, they're full of these symbols and they seem like dreamscapes, but you, you don't really understand them. But you want to. You want to know what that place is, what it means. That is what made me start digging into aspects of alchemical teachings mm. and as i was studying these alchemical teachings reading up on the history of where these teachings originated in different ancient cultures there's kind of weirder threads that exist underneath that you know like there's uh you know these things kind of spring up in ancient china ancient egypt india around the same times and there's strange stories about things that come from the sky or these entities that would visit people or impart knowledge or yeah you know whether it be through divine experience or what have you and i'm not saying that from the angle of like oh ancient aliens right i'm not right. saying that at all but yeah, sure. but there's a thread of strangeness there and i didn't and it's consistent and it's consistent and it didn't it didn't strike me as an alien thing which is what well, i'm grateful to have 
a weirder foot that started me off on it where like I I started realizing oh this UFO thing maybe isn't what people necessarily think it is maybe it is more like a there's something spiritual about it there's there's something alchemical about it and due to my mother's uh, interests in this she was really the only one I could turn to to ramble about mm. some of these wild thoughts I had and what I thought was really impactful and interesting is uh, I would tell her some of these ideas when we would be having bonfires outside at night and it wasn't until around that same time when I had these thoughts on my head that okay like UFOs these things they they visit people these are this has something to do with initiations it was a clear summer night around this period of time and around 11 30 12 a.m at night my dog at the time wanted to go out and go for a walk and i don't think my mom wanted to walk alone so she asked me to go you know if i wanted to come with so i said yeah and we lived on a dead end road out in a forested area in northern michigan so we took our dog out, sky was crystal clear, and while we were walking back down our dead-end road to go back to our house, a giant luminous football-shaped mm -hmm. object glowing like an ember bobbed across the sky in a fish-like fashion. It mm -hmm. swam through the air uh, the way that one would wave their arm through the air out a car window. It yeah, swam yeah, organically yeah, yeah, yeah. as if it was something living was the feeling that I got from it. So given the proximity of like what I had been reading, what was on my mind, it was clear in that moment that this thing seemed to be connected to those thoughts and yeah. that it was mm -hmm. connected to this kind of path that I just started out on. And that's, uh, you know, it's only built from there. So it's like so the universe reacted to you. It seems that way, you know, and, and I know there's a lot of argument people can make where it's like, well, you know, these things originate in the mind or what have you. And that's all fine and well, you know, but it doesn't diminish the fact that yeah. they happen. And right. right. Oh, yeah. Oh, and completely. it's... Um, it also says a lot about what we can do that we're not aware of. If we're projecting this stuff out there, imagine if we could do that with intent. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you 100%. So, you know, there's there's been various odd happenings. But at the end of the day, the reason I ever got into this was just because it's... A curious thing and, and I and I wouldn't have needed those experiences to have me be sitting here mm -hmm. and I think that's an important thing as well I think curiosity is the gold that we seek and it's it's at least what I seek so did your mom see the thing too and yeah oh yeah sorry I should have clarified that but yeah yeah we were both witness to including my dog <laughs> how does the dog react I, you know what's funny I don't have a, I don't have a clear memory because like you know I wasn't looking at him but I think his ears perked like I think we all stopped yeah. in our tracks but very close so, like I said it was was it an Oz effect type of moment <sighs> where everything went quiet you know I can't recall that everything was quiet as how old is I was around 15 to 16 okay. was when I was digging into this that was like a really pivotal age for me it's funny yeah. i brought that up earlier tonight yeah, actually totally. but that that was part of you know that was part of that yeah. um that was a really pivotal age for me so it wasn't that like growth period where you're in that liminal state of gaining new ideas yeah. and feelings and emotions and thoughts and, and that's really what spiraled me out into space so to speak and you know i think it's a very enchanted path and that's very much what i feel and very much what these pursuits of given me 
I guess. Do you remember what you were reading or what some of the stuff you were exploring at that point? <laughs> so funny enough, specifically at that time, because I had yeah. limited books yeah, right. on these topics, specifically the one that was really impactful was a book called The Philosopher's Stone by Peter Marshall. Okay, oh. sure. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Interesting. But, you know, uh, do you want to talk about the thing that happened to you today? I, I certainly would. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, turns out the uh, Elbat Witch Festival came with its own uh, paranormal experiences <laughs> on the way to the event. So, for most of us who traveled to the event, we were all hit with a horrible downpour of rain. Um, yes. mm-hmm. Terrible weather yep. all day long. Yeah, it was nasty. Yep. And yet, and yet, we still persisted. <laughs> Which I think is important in these pursuits. Uh, <laughs> so... I had a four and a half hour drive from Western Pennsylvania. I'm located right outside of Pittsburgh, just to help pass the time and brave the weather to get my head clear of the impending doom of the traffic. <laughs> I called a friend who only lived an hour away from where the Elbat Witch Festival was, see what she was up to. And we were chatting for a few hours until we had a reception during the breakup. So because the reception started the breakup, you know, I just hung up. We didn't call each other back because I think mm. we both were just like, ah, whatever. And, you sure. know, later on. As I'm getting closer to the festival, a few hours later, about 10 minutes away, I get a text from her where she asks me, did you die? You know, just to make sure I was safe in the rain because, you know, it was uh, quite a difficult drive. So instead of texting and driving, which uh, I cannot do, I decided to give her a quick call. When she picked up, I answered the call with going, oh, I'm still driving. And her response was a shock. She goes, what? And I'm like, oh, kind of weird. It kind of like threw me for a loop because it was like weird (laughs) the way she said it. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm not like delayed, but you know, there was a little bit of extra time because I I stopped at a sheets and ate some food. And then she goes, who is this? Which she said, that had to be surreal. It was so strange. I was like, what do you mean? I go, it's me. I go, can you hear me? And she goes, who is this? And I'm like, can't you hear me? I'm like, it's me. I'm driving. I just called you. And then she's like, I want to know who this is. And then like her voice starts to break up. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, maybe she just can't hear me. You know, like maybe like, I don't know. I don't know why she didn't see my name come through. You know, I was confused about that, but I hung up the phone. I'm pulling into the festival, and then she she's calling me back. So I answer the phone, and she goes, did you just call me? I'm like, yeah, didn't you hear me? Mm-hmm. Like, I was talking to you. I don't think you could hear me. She goes, who are those kids on the line? <laughs> I'm like, kids? I go, what do you mean? And she goes, uh, there were two little boys talking through your phone. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, I was talking. And she's like, whoa, this is freaking me out. So I'm like, whoa, this is freaking me out. I'm like, you got to tell me what they said. I'm like, what did they say? And she goes, I heard these two little boys and they're talking about something being on top of a bookshelf. She goes, they said some other nonsense stuff before they got to that, but I wasn't paying attention. She goes, but they were talking to each other going, look on top of the bookshelf. You have to crawl on top of the bookshelf. It's up there. You have to look. And then she goes before the call ended, they both addressed me and they said, why did she pick up? And then the call ended. 
And I'm like, well, that's weird. I go, I hung up because I thought you couldn't hear me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so did your name come up? Did you ask her? No, nothing like that. She said other stuff came up, but she was trying to remember. I told her right everything. No, no, no. I mean, when, when the call came in, did it say it was coming in? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it did. I just don't. I, so an interesting detail about this is when she picked up that call, she had the sense that of like impending doom that there was something wrong <laughs> and she thought something happened to me and that yeah, somebody yeah. had my like she had a weird feeling that something wasn't right and it creeped her out like hearing huh. these kids well, yeah. but but another kind of odd detail to go along with this that I should have clarified when I made that first phone call just during the drive to pass some time we were talking about different like strange subterranean stories like mm. i don't quite remember how they got brought up but i told her about the van meter visitor which she didn't mm. know about that monster allegedly flew into an abandoned mine shaft left behind these big three-toed footprints and stuff yeah. like that and then you know we're talking about these different ca cavern type themes and i'm like well did you ever hear about the children of wool pit yeah you know oh, the green yes. children of Wool Pit, children, and, yeah. and she didn't know about this so the last conversation we had with each other was about these two green children that came out of this cavern oh, over in this okay. yeah over in this uh, European England, country England, England I believe yeah. yeah and they had green tinted skin and they said that they were from this strange place called St Martin's Land yeah. Yeah. and that they wandered through a cavern I, that I, they got lost in and then they when they left or found an opening they were in our world seemingly yeah. I'm thinking of Allison has not heard this story before. No, it's, my only reference is that Land of the Lost episode where they almost <laughs> made it back and they could see the, the real town and the sleeve stacks moved it and then he decided not to go through the, the portal. Yeah, this they, is they, very similar. <laughs> the Wolpit story, they came from a land, yeah, St. Martin's Land, which Saint I think Martin's was a tran land. what they translated to eventually because they didn't right. speak English. Yeah, no. Uh, the, the boy died shortly mm -hmm. afterwards, uh, never took to being here. The girl... If I remember right, she eventually lost the green she tint. She lost the green tint yeah. and she was able to they taught her English and that's yeah. where Saint Martin's Lane came from. But she also said it was like it wasn't a normal like night day cycle. I'm trying to remember exactly. Yeah, what yeah it I was. believe mm. I, I might be wrong on this. Again, it's been years or so since I've read about it, but I believe she may have mentioned how it was like kind of like perpetual twilight. Yes. Or, yeah, uh, which is very right. much a fairyland type yes. thing, which is yeah. which is Magic interesting. Hour. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and it's also curious too, like talking about their skin changing. And, and don't get me wrong, I understand there's there are skeptics who like who want to believe in the story, but they're like, well, this is probably like malnourished kids right, or whatever. Right, right. That's and that's all fine usual. and good, but but like yeah. for the context of this tale, like the point being is like we left on this note talking about these weird yeah, like yeah. fey type kids, and yes. like even though it was a boy and a girl in this sense, yeah, I find it strange how this phone call that we have after sure. is these two kids it's the trickster it's strange mm -hmm. it's so strange but like truly one of the weirdest things that's happened to me because it's it's so outside the realm of like you misinterpreting something because it's like this isn't like yeah. necessarily a misinterpretation like this yeah. happened yeah but it's also something that shouldn't be able to happen yeah. like this right. is a phone call through my phone and like th with voices that weren't even detecting my own. Right. She had a completely yeah. different conversation with somebody. Yeah. That I wasn't happy. <laughs> she was on a cell phone too, not yeah. a landline. Yeah. 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 Yep. I'm sure it was a Gray Barker calling. <laughs> <laughs> Another prank. Another Got prank. him. <laughs> I, I've I've had people uh, back when I was using the landline where I would 
like put the phone down for a minute be no one else home mm. and the person on the other end would hear my name spoken <laughs> and I'd come back and they're like who was that and it'd be like who was what some woman just said your name into the phone okay <laughs> I don't Here. know because it wasn't me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the phone was sitting right where I left it and there's no one else here what's her number <laughs> <laughs> I used to get strange phone calls too when I would uh, anytime when I was a kid and stayed over somewhere my mom would get weird phone calls and she'd be like I don't hmm. know these people called for you but I couldn't hear them like they were like it was too much static and I and it was always women She'd be like, some girl called and, you know, but I, I couldn't take a message because I couldn't make out what they were saying and I said you weren't home and then they hung up. But I had no idea who that would have been. Like everyone I knew who might have called, I'd be like, did you call? And they'd be like, no. Mm-hmm. And it only happened when I wasn't there. Oh, that's wow. interesting. That's wow. interesting. So phone stuff can be weird. It's like all the phone calls from the dead stuff. Well, I think, and that's like the most fascinating thing to me is like one of the things this girl said, I was on this call with her. She's like, well, how could they, you know, I joked. I'm like, you, you heard two goblins. You realize this, right? Like, like those are goblins, my guy. And she's like, but how could they do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I think they can do whatever they want, (laughs) you know, but it's like, but it, it does speak to that ephemeral quality where it's like yeah how could that be real like it's not like i don't think there were two things holding a phone right but it's like they're a voice inside of a yeah digital world i you know if you can call it digital they're just out there in the ether you know yeah. but they even if it's digital it's still there's yeah. still it's still like a signal it's still yeah. an, an energetic signal that in some way has to do with you know you're either talking about like transmission of wireless frequencies or electricity I feel like all of that stuff is just, I mean, classically, these are the things that the paranormal or the weird associate themselves with. Sound wave vibrations, different ways of transmitting things, subtle transmissions, basically. Yeah. yeah. yeah subtle energies and subtle vibrations. Yeah. But it's also, like, curious, too, where there's, like, this kind of omniscience to it. Yes. Where it's like, how could sure. they... You know, if there is some kind of intelligence capable of doing that, it's like, how would it know? Like, how would it know to do that? Like, what does it feel or experience from its end? And I also find the most interesting detail to me isn't even necessarily them talking about the bookshelf. Like, yes, that's all very curious and might have developments. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting how there was a kind of elimination of, like, random static by acknowledging that there was a girl who picked up. And going, why would she pick up? Like, so yeah. it's almost oh, yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like giving credence mm-hmm. to like, oh, this is happening, and you're mm-hmm. hearing us, mm-hmm. but it's because you picked up. Yeah, yeah. Why right. is it you? And so like, that's strange. Like, like it it would be one thing to just hear these kids talking about a bookshelf, where it's like, well, you know, maybe random fluke's happen with phones. You know, I've heard about text message type stuff where people get like fragments sure, of yeah. somebody else's me- which like who knows how or why that happens but it's not unheard of I've heard of things like that yeah. but totally different obviously for like actual audio on a call but so you know one could chalk it up to be like well, I don't know maybe there were just kids on the phone yeah. someplace else and you for some reason it just picked up a different yeah. frequency yeah. but but this weird acknowledgement that kind of goes out of left field from that conversation yeah, to go absolutely. why did she pick up why did she pick up yeah and you especially know, it's that, like, they, that it didn't come right at the beginning when she picked up and no. said who is this mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah but also if you if you think about the omniscience thing if you compare our reality to like a video game or a computer code or whatever you could be outside that code mm-hmm. 
And then you have all the possibilities, all the information there, and then you can just insert yourself. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I think about that a lot. Obviously, like, the other is outside of time in a sense. Right, yeah, same thing. Same same idea. Yeah, it just kind of looks in and it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'll put myself here and then there Mm -hmm. and then there. (laughs) Well, I figure with the video game analogy, you can hold a cartridge in your hand. Right. And all everything that you could possibly do in that game that that character can do in the game that you're playing is in the palm of your hand. Yeah. And you can't experience it that way. You have to actually go into it to experience it. Yeah. Well, I think a really interesting aspect of that analogy, just to, to play off of the, the video game idea, is how we have this, this idea about what limitations reality has on it. So if you think about a very realistic video game that maybe has some... Uh, real world kind of um engines in it like say uh say a video game like grand theft auto right things that follow gravity yep if you crash a car it's gonna get dented it follows you know so you could imagine if you were inside this thing and you didn't know that it was a game you would assume that all the sciences we have would adhere to the sciences that we have because gravity works all the science that made those cars works However, it doesn't diminish the fact that if I were to put a cheat code into it, I can make a machine gun that can shoot out full vehicles in mass, and it doesn't affect reality. It doesn't affect the The law of the reality. It doesn't affect the law of conservation matter because it doesn't really matter. It's a video game. So I think magic, as well as just this reality, might be a little more permeable than we would think in that regard. So it doesn't mean that it doesn't adhere to laws. Of course it does. You know, I'm not here to say, oh, nothing matters. Of course it does. Science matters. However, I think there are things that somehow can operate outside of that. And I don't think it needs to make sense. It just does. That's the way I've heard it described in sort of my research, particularly coming from like Eastern, Hmm. specifically within like an Indian yogic tradition, is that it's like there are supervening laws that are sort of underneath or that are fundamental that we do not understand but that these are the laws that people who are you know yogis Hmm. essentially magicians that are engaging with it and there's certain things that i've heard like there are seven layers of electricity in the ether and that in the third layer is where you have to access it in order to sort of get power in order to make things happen i mean i don't know this is all just stuff i've heard but that idea i think of there being other laws or other essentially laws of nature but they're just at a level that we're not able to access with our tools and that those laws then from them our laws laws emerge our laws of physics yeah that's interesting and so you're still you're not doing anything that is against nature when you're engaging with you know these yogic or magical practices it's just you're working at it from an oblique angle uh and using sort of working with these different laws see i like Mm -hmm. that and and i do like to think that whatever this stuff is including you know the (laughs) the vague terminology of what we would consider magic like i do believe it is all part of nature and i think nature accounts for those gaps Yep. You know, it's just not something that we we necessarily hold great definitions for right. at this well, point. Well, when we talk about, like, supernatural, like, assuming that this stuff is beyond the natural world, but it, I like the idea that it's just rare phenomena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's it, you have, you know, getting struck by lightning is rare. 
this is super rare, you know, seeing a UFO or what you experienced, you know. And less rare, I think, once you've had experiences mm -hmm. because you're not as blind to them or you're more noticeable to the things giving them to you. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, there, there's something to that. You see that with experiencers, you know, not saying that, you know, I, I have that, I hold that kind of title, but just people who experience phenomena in general, you know, in the past, when I started researching this stuff, you know, I would have had a very skeptical eye for those who had multiple, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, yeah. experiences, but I, I no longer have yep. that because yep. I, I believe it is the norm yep. and the pattern to, once you see one thing, there's a domino effect that mm -hmm. occurs. And, and I think like what you were saying, there's a lot of speculation that you can have as to why that is. Like, is it something in you that changes? Is it something in the other that takes notice so it just pops up? Do you notice each other? You know, like, yeah, what yeah. is it? I think about it a lot like magnets where, you know, you, you can go all day going, well, what came first, the chicken or the egg? But if you were to do that with two magnets colliding, what side of the magnet do you blame? It's yeah. both. You know, I feel like there's aspects of that too. You have that give and take, but something seemingly occurs you know and continues to occur that pull that attraction it it expands upon yeah. itself did your friend check the shelves in her house <laughs> i don't know if she did yet okay. but you know I'm, I'm going at all angles so you, you're just to, to bring all tips. <laughs> you know to bring a little bit more humor back I, I should say like when i did arrive at the elbet witch festival I was telling everyone in, in this circle here to be like, hey, like, I don't know if it's going to be one of our shelves. Like, just keep this in mind because I don't know whose shelf. Yeah, you were asking about any, like, shops around called something bookshelf or something. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening to this episode, go check your shelf. <laughs> check your shelf before you wreck your shelf. Oh, oh that was good. Oh, that was great. Oh. So, you mentioned magic more than once there. Mm -mm. And I have heard... Many people, and I don't know if internally that you guys have referred to as this, but I've heard many people refer to Hellier hmm. as an initiation ritual. Mm -hmm. Multi-part question. Do you feel that, that that's the case? And if so, how did you change through that journey? Ooh, it's a big one. I think, at least my hope, my hope with something like Hellier is that without being so grandiose in the expectations of it, whether people want to view it as an initiation or not, I hope that people see that, unlike this oversaturated pop culture idea of these things, there are people who have genuine questions, genuine curiosity, and it's healthy to explore that curiosity and to understand that the world is more mysterious than I think we've been led to believe at this point. And I think that is more than enough of an initiation. Like, if you were to ask me, I think an initiation only needs to start with asking questions. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we are all bred of this fabric that stems from curiosity. You know, curiosity is what led me to this table. You know, and, and if Hellier sparks curiosity, in people especially curiosity over fear which is something that we like to talk about a lot then I do think that it acts as an initiation mm -hmm. even if it be just getting that foot in the door mm -hmm. you know and, and it's up to you to go as far as you want to on that path 
no one's here to tell you where your path should go. You know, I think that's all that should all be dictated by the individual. We're, we're all at different stages. We're yes. all at, we all have different questions. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's important to acknowledge as well. So for me, man, it's changed me in great ways. I, I think it's, it's heightened my understanding greatly by being involved with a group of people and to see the dynamic of like both camaraderie and struggle of working with different people who think Mm. differently than you you know that's been transformative you know i think a lot of people like to focus on positive aspects of being the only thing that's transformative but it also comes with hardship you know the hardship of being vulnerable and, and, and making something that people see you know oh, like yeah. there's there's yes. so many things Certainly. that can change you with this and, and it's it's scary there's a lot of things that there's a lot of fear that's involved i think in, in these pursuits but all that is is transformative but above all you know to, to give the most positive answer i've learned a lot a lot faster than i would on my own because i had a group of people i could bounce ideas off mm. and that even extends yes. to everyone at this table you know i think and i think that's why we're here at this table because we're all curious minded people and through our individual actions of living a very strange life and making very strange decisions individually (laughs) it somehow (laughs) has culminated in everyone sitting at this table at this particular point in time and i think that is no less an act of magic than anything else Mm -hmm. absolutely Yeah. yeah well said the things that brought me to the point I'm at were such rare type of things. Like when I look back and go, man, if this sequence of things hadn't hit just right, I wouldn't be here. I don't know where I'd be. And I see that numerous times in my life and I'm just like, what the hell? Like, (laughs) do I even have free will? Did this stuff, or was this just a plan I'm following, you know? Yeah. It feels like that. I struggle with that a lot where it's like, you know, it's like, do we have free will or are we just puppets? (laughs) And if we are puppets, we don't know. So it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's like, or are we our our own puppets, you know, to a higher state of Mm -hmm. being, you know? So it's like, who knows? I'm just here for the ride. (laughs) (laughs) I remember Tim sending me his book the first time. And Beyond the Seventh Gate... Uh, is this going to be some urban legend crap? Uh, I'm literally sitting in my dentist office and I start reading it and I'm like, oh, oh no, he's dismantling the urban legends mm-hmm. and digging into the folklore. And, Who is this guy? What, what? And then I'm like looking you back up and then I'm like, you need to come on right away. You know, and, then, and then, boom, eventually we're here. Yeah, yeah. And Chris, Chris sent me his movie Corpse, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a modern artful retake of King and Yellow. King and Yellow, yeah. Yep. And I had started listening to Sarai. God, I don't even remember. That was, I think, because I had, you know, in my uh, interests, I had been Googling things about uh, pyramids and ancient, you know, history or lost history. And Uh, somehow that... I think it was because your first guest was... Um, one of my first. Or one of your first was... Like uh, Robert Schock. Robert Schock, yeah. yeah. And so then, you know, this is when I... Uh, and anybody who was my former boss there, you can write me up for it. But I used to not work a lot when I was at MTV. Uh, and instead be, you know, like researching weird paranormal stuff online. And yeah, that sort of led to... 
And I didn't even, I hadn't even, I don't even know. Yeah, I think it was through listening to your stuff that I got to know everything else. Yeah. And, and, and all the other podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there and going up to visit you since we became friends is where the our most recent project that we did, the yes. film uh, that is essentially the Soraya Where Did the Road Go biography semi, or biography of Where Did the Road Go, let's yeah. say. And, but that all for me felt very much like, at least when I am engaged in doing my creative practice, I kind of try to let what I feel is like the the waves of the ocean push me in a particular direction. That's why I'm not a super successful filmmaker because I'm not going out. No, very much so because I'm not going out and I'm not trying specifically to make something for this particular purpose. I mean, I've done things like that with partners before. So the hell in the hole was kind of like, but most of the time when I'm doing my own projects, I try to see where, where fate will lead me. And it most, most of the time it's worked out. Like that's how corpse happened. That's how this film with Soraya happened. That's how other things in the past that I've done things with music. And I think there's, you know, for me, at least there's something to that letting the current push you in yes. certain ways. Yeah. I like that word too. I use it a lot. The current, yeah. and, and it's funny. I don't know if you guys feel this, but like, there's certain times where it's like you become aware that's stronger than it like fluctuates yeah. at times. You can tell when it's yeah. present. At least, yeah. Sometimes it gets stagnant. Yeah, yeah and I think that's good. I think that's a good thing too because it's like you can't always be tapped into the wire. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't think that ends well for anyone. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think that ebb and flow. You know, there's there's a lot to be meditated on upon that yes to put it simply take breaks people (laughs) take breaks like don't there's i don't know what that means (laughs) (laughs) well take breaks from the don't let you have the metal show you're you're not you're not paranormal all the time every minute every day yeah yeah although they do kind of overlap at times of course they're going to do that but yeah I think it's important sometimes. And, and, for, just... pe- and for people like Jeff Ritzman, you yeah. know, he had to really get away from it for a time period before coming mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, every time you mention Jeff, I feel like I just have to step back and just say, what a loss. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. what an incredible yeah. mind. And I miss him. And I never even got to meet him in person. Yeah, same here. Talked to him so much. and Yeah. And, and I talked to him probably 175th as much as you did. But we would have conversations couple times either after where did the road go appearances yeah. or mm-hmm. or otherwise when he he came on strange familiars once i think yeah and he was on strange familiars for 10 minutes right, right. but then we talked for three hours after yes that. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and it was a fantastic conversation yeah, my first you know? conversation with him including the show we recorded was over six hours yeah he's what a mind for this stuff and what a mm-hmm. loss and, I mean, yeah. it's awesome that Jeremy's putting up the old paratopias they did because mm-hmm. I'm getting to hear other stuff mm-hmm. from him that he never mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, he didn't, I don't think he... T- I, he might have. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been so long now that, you know, he mm-hmm. may have talked about it and I forgot to, but... And I, I'm going to say, so this is this is Maryland Prejudice. The first time I heard <laughs> that accent that Jeff had, which was a very Maryland accent, and I'm from Maryland, so I'm allowed to say this, I was like, eh-eh, nope. Not no. This guy can't have anything good to say. <laughs> Just growing up around that accent. But no, as I listen, I'm like, this guy is fascinating, and he's got a mind like a steel trap. I mean, wow, he was on it. He was ahead of the rest of us. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're as, all we're all 
getting there. Yeah. He was there. Yeah. That's what I was telling Jeremy when uh, when you were on. Yeah. Like, I'm listening to these old Paratopias from 2009, 2010 going, so you guys had all this stuff already back then yeah. that, then I, that I discovered on my own and we've put together now. And it's like, oh, Jeff and Jeremy had this stuff. You mentioned that before. You mentioned, <laughs> yeah. like, we're, 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 we're the, the, the cycle, yeah. the endless cycle. I don't, I don't think people were ready for it then. Well, I think yeah. now people are a little more open to it's it. It's like, where are the footprints then? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how we... Look, in my life, I've not been able to hit the crest of waves too well. I'm, I'm, either, yeah, I'm either way ahead or way behind. I just like... And something happened with that, and I, people were ready for it. Yeah. Because I, I was expecting, and Josh was expecting too, we were expecting a fight when those yeah. books came out. We're yeah, like, this yeah. is going to be a fight with the cryptozoologist people. And there were a few, and there are sure. a few who still don't like it. But... The general reception was like people were waiting for it. It's like they were mm-hmm. ready yeah. for it. And and I, I say, you know, this is a book that it should have been written 20 years ago, but maybe not. No. Yeah. no you know, I think it, it came out when it was supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when people look back on those two books 20, 30 years from now, they're going to be at passport to Magonia level. Mm, they're going to be like so. they're going to so. be that's, like these guys, these guys had all this stuff and <laughs> that's a that's a high compliment. But yeah, I, I don't know. Just, and and, I, just, and I mean, the, th- the thing is, it, it's not, you know, you went across all the phenomena, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is what so many people have not done. I yep. don't understand. How can you be, even <laughs> if you're like, your main thing is Bigfoot, and you go and you talk to a witness and they're like, yeah, I have ghosts in my house. That's not interesting to you? Right. Like, no, even well, if no, you're... They don't, they don't, ghosts are nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, even if you're not going to connect those two things, which is, they're highly connected. Yeah. That's not interesting to you, yeah. at least. Like you don't stop and say, "Well, wait, 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 wait. Tell me about these ghosts." You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like, but no, it's like they don't. They don't like nah, nah, Just tell me about the Bigfoot. Well, gonna... well, that's the funny thing too, because like I've had the inversion of that, where yeah. like when I was into these occult topics, I didn't have an interest in Bigfoot, not because I didn't think it was interesting. Sure. Like I didn't. I didn't. It wasn't that I didn't believe in Bigfoot. I figured i'm like well you know it's mystery adjacent <laughs> it's strange that like people can't find it mm-hmm. i go but it probably is like some undiscovered animal but right. it, even if it is you know it's an animal it doesn't pertain to these topics right. so yeah. like right. it was interesting enough on the surface of like well it's cool that it's a mystery but it's not like i'm not into like zoology stuff right you know and that's fine you know like it's cool that it's out there i i wasn't a non-believer but it didn't interest me right because it to me it was like well if it's real it's just an animal i don't you know that's the way it's put forth i mean yeah but but then it's like by default by looking into occult stuff and you start seeing these connections (laughs) to like old texts and um you know, the the kind of high strangeness materials that come out of those reports. Like, oh, well, actually, this is the same stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, so then I became interested. In it, and now that kind of thing is more interesting to me than, than most of these, like, subgenres, if you want to break them down into that. Because it's like, it does scale it down to that visceral, physical element to a degree of, of yeah. like, how those experiences unfold. So it's like, whoa. Yeah. You know, you can go out into the forest and have the the enlightenment of mm-hmm. of what these things have to offer, so mm-hmm. to speak. You know, you don't have to be looking up to the sky or some ephemeral thing that like is such a rarity. It, it gives you the power to 
enter that tree line, so to speak, and grab it for yourself. And I think that's an empowering aspect of those stories. It's like, yes, it does get people into the woods. You know, whether they... So the most positive angle I have on is whether they think it's an ape or not, it still gets people into the woods. Ooh, and it gets them and, away and, from and, the electromagnetic and, fields and, 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 and the and stuff it, that we're inundated with. Yeah, it, it, gives you, it gives you that visceral human experience of connecting with nature. And I think that is the most important aspect of that phenomenon and, and is and, very much needed in this day and age. And, and I think if some of these cases most likely are basically wilderness poltergeists, I think it's because people are going out into the wilderness and they're getting away from all that noise and electromagnetic stuff that is normally inundating them and they are connecting with nature, which is giving this stuff the energy to manifest. Because yeah. they, they're looking for it and so rocks get thrown and they hear vocalizations and repeats and knocks which is the same stuff you hear in a poltergeist case in the house but just with a different face on if octavian were here he'd be saying in grimoire magic they tell you to go out to the wilderness to practice right Mm -hmm. yeah to which i will add jesus said go out to the wilderness to pray oh i love that the many saints that i have studied coming from the vedic tradition there's a very specific thing about you do have to go into the wilderness, and it's especially good if you're either in a cave or on a mountaintop. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I know a thing or two about those. Yeah. Yeah. Be- be- <laughs> Before we get into that, and all Bigfoot, I know people are, gonna, are wondering, have you guys seen the Colorado footage? What's the Colorado I have, and it's absurd. Yeah. Okay. So I, I want everybody to see it. <laughs> it's shot ostensibly from a train. Okay. Let me let me call it up so you can see it, and then you can comment and, on and it. And people can Google this. People can Google yeah, it. shot from a train. That's it's, right. Um, yeah. <coughs> a tourist train. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Let me Tim, just call it up on YouTube. Oh no no no! I, uh, it's <laughs> the general consensus on on the Strange Familiars Discord is that yeah, it's yeah. it's bunk. My initial thing was like it was a, it's very well done if it's a hoax, but it's filmed from so far away. Yeah, yeah. and it's easy that, to, to make stuff you, well done nowadays. Yeah. You know what though? Even from far away, the funniest thing about this footage is that it has giant tree trunk legs. <laughs> like, like there's full blown pants underneath that suit, and it's it's if very chunky. Yeah. yeah, if I wanted to go out for lulls, that's like where I would go in my <laughs> weird Slenderman suit to try to so uh, create a viral video. Let's see if there's a better one to look at here. These are all from news. Stations. All I can say is that that ain't no patty. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> And I mean, I've posted pictures or videos that had weird stuff in them, but they're not weird, and I know what they are. Yeah. But then you try to tell people, no, <laughs> I know what this is. This is not paranormal. They're like, no way, man, that's paranormal. And you're like, okay. but I'm telling you, I know what it was. How recent is this? Very recent. Very recent. Yeah. Like, like I don't know, five, four days ago, five yeah. days ago. Oh God, yeah, that looks awful. Look at those. Look at those uh, ankles. Yeah. No, that's a guy <laughs> just walking along in a suit. Look at, those, yeah. look at those bell bottoms. Yeah. Now the question is: Is the person <laughs> filming it in on it? Well, the the, the commentary, which we, we don't have the phone this on. This isn't that where it's like sort of the sparse trees and it looks like the. Oh no. I see. Okay. What are we looking at here? It's a dude with pants who's walking along and then sits down. Yeah, this somebody, is, this it's is probably also some... like a weird zoomed in video too. Yeah. It, there's yeah. The normal video is like far away and it's like normal speed. Yeah, and it, it's very pixelated. Because yeah. it's so... So, oh, so in the original video you can hear a guy say... Oh, he, he does have the flares, doesn't he? <laughs> That's what I'm he's saying. Like, he's, he's got them bell bottoms. Maybe he's a time traveler. I mean, probably. I mean, you hear somebody probably. say, an elusive creature. <laughs> oh. Do not, 
they're not uh, surprised. Very, yeah, very surprised or anything. I don't know what. See, this is why I'm not, a, I'm not a, a video guy, and I always say this when people send me stuff because I'm like, don't I don't? What am I going to say? I don't I don't yeah. know that much yeah. about stuff. Yeah. I look at stuff and go, ah, that looks pretty good. I wasn't looking at the flared legs, mind you. I was looking at <laughs> I was looking at the peaked head. Okay, yeah. sure. Okay. And uh, you know, but I always like. You, you so, do see those flared legs. I, oh, wow, yeah, I totally see them, yeah. I always lean to, like, it's a fake, right? That's, sure. that, I'm going to, yeah. like, prove... So, so will I. It's going to be a fake until you prove to me that it's not a fake. <laughs> I'm kind to people because people get very excited about sure. this, and I don't want to, like, poop on anybody's birthday cake. Is that a thing? Is that a, is that <laughs> right, a new, now. I just made a new phrase. Something Tim I, does I, that the rest I, of us <laughs> didn't know about. I said I do not want to poop long. on anybody's <laughs> birthday cake. Anyway, so I usually just like, well, you know, that looks pretty interesting. This one I thought looked more interesting than most. But, yeah, the more I looked at it and the more people pointed out, especially in the Strange Familiar's Discord, because sort of pointed things out, I was like, oh, yeah, it's yeah, kind of... But I knew people would want us to comment on it. So, well, the consensus at the square table is uh, no bueno <laughs> yeah. on the. But new the thing is, thing. even if it looked real, even if we were like, "Well, this might be real," so what? Oh yeah, we already know right. this stuff exists. So yeah. what is this telling us that we didn't already know? Right. right. Well, and it's never going to convince yeah. a diehard skeptic who's no. like, "This stuff doesn't exist." They'll look at the video and they'll go, "That's fake." No matter what. Well, there's already pe been people who are like, "Oh, there's pixelation behind the head. It's CGI." <laughs> it's like, wouldn't it be better? I don't think it needs to be CGI. Yeah, exactly. It's a guy in a suit. Yeah, yeah. Like, like that's a lot of. Yeah, that's that's artifact compression. Yeah, yeah. And, and to me, like, it's funny on on that same note that you mentioned, like. One of the more empowering things to come to accept with this phenomena is that it is so rare that it probably will never or doesn't need to be on video. And, and there's a kind of like, mm -hmm. I, I hope you can follow my mindset on this. There's, there's an interesting romanticism to this that I've come to realize that we don't get to experience in the modern day and age except through these experiences. So I was thinking on... Yeah. so. At this table, we have various artists that work in various mediums. As an artist, like reflecting on paintings and things like that, what I, what I find really fascinating about paintings in the past is how I realize in the modern day and age, none of us actually experience paintings the way they were perceived then, mm -hmm. when those are the only way you could possibly yeah. see yes. something. Imagine how impactful that is to see a colored image of something before cameras existed yeah there that is something none of us have ever experienced but like sure. we can only imagine it there's something interesting to be said about this phenomena that it kind of operates in the same way where you have these experiences that people have they have descriptions of it there's poorly drawn witness sketches but it's kind of like those medieval cats with the strangely human yeah. faces yeah. it kind of gives you a taste yeah. but it's not enough to satisfy yeah. the truth of it so it retains its purity by being a mystery. Yeah. And I think that is more important to these things and the mechanisms that they play than being so forthright in the way they reveal themselves Definitely. to a digital camera, which, uh, again, only um, highlights the importance of the personal experience. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I think also the fact that it's something that has... You're getting similar phenomena, or I mean, it, the the apparent artifacts from analog technology to digital technology aren't that much different, too. Which makes me think that it is technology agnostic, mm. and that there's an adaptation that doesn't matter if it's analog or digital or something else 
okay. crystal-based technology. This is interesting. Since so you're somebody yeah. who literally works with yeah. film, teach film. Yeah. I've had several people posit to me that we can't get another patty film because everybody's using digital cameras now. But if we went back to analog film, mm. we could get another patty film. But I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me because the patty okay. film would be the patty film is simply a documentation of something that's happening in front of you. Mm. You could do that digitally, or you could do that with sixteen millimeter film. I mean, they're both working in the the technology. One is having chemicals that is are reacting with the light. The other are electronic sensors that are reacting to the light. So, I mean, maybe if we go beyond it where we have technology that can capture something that doesn't react with light, maybe that would be different. But so far, everything reacts with light. So I think that might be more important than the actual technology okay. itself. Yeah. So unless we want to get really woo and say somehow right. well, the <laughs> right. other knows the But difference. the idea, I yeah. mean, there is this idea like analog is somehow more pure than digital. Right. And I, I yeah, don't necessarily that like buy that. Part of well, that, like, like renaissance of vinyl. It's as the some sort, sort it's, of... It's, yeah, it's fetishism. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. Yeah. Interesting. It's yeah. a rationalization yeah. for... I mean, for maybe you might get slightly different effects. Like you might get a different type of light smear because... It just works in a different way, but you're going to get fundamentally the same thing, which so far, hmm. all I've seen, you know, is the same in terms of what people are producing. Mm -hmm. I've heard some ghost hunters say that analog recorders get better EVPs than mm. digital ones. Mm. And that might be also because digital compresses. That mm. probably. Analog has artifacts, though. Ah, that's true. Yeah. 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 So, so interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if this stuff is, is as keel posited, coming in from another light spectrum. Yeah. That might also be why we don't really get good footage of them. Yeah. Right. Why cue, even good footage of them looks bad because cameras yeah, well, can't cue, quite hit them. Cue the woo, the the woo soundbite because uh, <laughs> just for the sake of record, coming from me at this point in time, part of my thoughts on that patty footage because I do think mm. I do think that it's real. Mm -hmm. I do think that there's a genuine thing in that footage. But if you really want to get weird with it. I'm not saying I believe this 100%, but I speculate that that footage exists because that footage, going off of what you were saying mm -hmm. with uh, the way we, we deal with film and how we document, I believe that footage is modern scripture. Hmm. And scripture doesn't need to be rewritten twice. It only needs no. to be written once. Wow. And that scripture, wow. that scripture has led people into the forests. They would have mm -hmm. never walked. Had it not been written. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a well, take. Wow. I can get on board with you with that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, man. I, 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 yeah. You can say. Here, can we please drop the mic? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can say, though, even if it was Tyler faked, out. it still had the same effect. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. You could indeed. Which yeah, the other wins either way. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it always wins. Yes. Welcome to the madness of <laughs> these pursuits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, true. a thing I've taken, and this is not original, I stole it from Tobe Johnson. And we can talk about this. And he said to me one time, because we were talking about all this great audio we have. Have you heard the Sierra sounds? They're amazing! Mm. Yeah. Like, whatever's going on there, and I'm not even saying it's Bigfoot, but it's something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we can't reproduce it, and it's beyond human vocal range and all this stuff. It's, it, they're, they're amazing. Lots and lots of great audio out there. Fantastic audio. I think I've got some pretty good audio myself. Mm. Not to brag, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, no, we, we, we have good audio. Like, yeah. certainly my audio might... It's, it's nowhere near the Sierra sounds, but it's better than anything I've gotten on camera. We can say that, right? Sure, sure. Miles better than anything I've ever captured on camera. So, Tobe says, 
it's almost like we're not allowed to film this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, that feels like an essential truth to me. But then why? Like, that, the question is why? Does that make it more real if we can see a picture of it? Or, like... like well, I just... I think it goes mm-hmm. back to, like, you know, kind of some of those thoughts I stated earlier. I think it almost... I feel like having a visual of these things backs it into a corner. Because once you have a visual in your mind, it never leaves. Yeah. And so it's dictated. It's permanent. There's no room for change. So, you know, there, there's aspects of that. But then, you know, there's also aspects where it's like by keeping it rare. Yeah. By keeping it not accessible to the masses. By delivering it down to the personal experience, it makes the impact real. It's not something that's just so lighthearted that, you know, we can just consume it the way we consume everything else in, in, in all of its... Um, cheap substance yeah. you know th- does all yeah. the media that we consume every day uh by our own will and against our will really satisfy anyone yeah i don't think it does so why would something so important as this thing that's been with us since the dawn of time yeah. give us a, such a fast food fascination certainly <laughs> the one possible interesting exception to that is lights yes mm. when it's a yeah. plain light a plain light yep but there we have this thing that's universal across the phenomenon yeah yeah. Right, like the lights, poltergeist lights. activity, electricity. Yeah. These are the the, the commonalities. So, so it's because, yeah, is that like the basic form of it, and right. we're we're allowed to have a yeah, kind of sometimes sure. a picture of that sometimes. Well, not, not well, I also feel that like light is kind of like a Rorschach test, though, in a way. There you go. Yeah. You know, I think that so many people you feel a certain kind of way when you see that. There's, it's such a universal form. It's formless, yeah. and yet it's real because it exists. So like. You know, I feel like that importance there exists in that kind of Rorschach ability to kind of be how yeah. you perceive that light, you know? So it's there's... a formless form, and I think yeah. there, there might be something, too, in, like, well, if we know from scientific method and research that there is this phenomenon, and I am not going into all quantum, but the, the double-slit experiment, which is basically about indeterminacy, something being in an indeterminate state, and then observation makes yeah. it determinate. Yeah, yeah. I do think that if that is part of what we know about physics, there could be something to that, especially if this is, you know, the phenomenon is acting from... Uh, creation? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That There's that act of perceiving. There's something about locking, locking something into place and that the phenomena, and I don't know why then sound would be an indeterminate thing. I don't know, I guess, what the difference between vision and and um, uh, hearing would be. But uh, I do think that that's something interesting there about the indeterminacy of it and us not being able to really like latch on to a concrete form of the mystical. Hmm. Well, I think it also, you know, I know we could just keep spiraling with the, you know, the what ifs of it all. But but then I, I, you know, I also think it's interesting how we have definitions for these lights like... um, St. Elmo's fire, things like mm-hmm. that. And the yeah. fact that fire itself as a, you know, this substance uh, more or less is something that's also been with us since the dawn of time. And, and we have <laughs> seemingly like uh, genetic hardware baked into our brains because of how we've always utilized it for survival. So there's, you know, an element of that there too, where it's like, is, is it playing off of that? You know, lights have always served as a fascination for people. And in more ways than one, they serve illumination. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. is that part of that 
that point, but who knows, yeah. you know? But I think that's the great aspect of this. Like, it's such a mystery. Yeah. It's such a mystery, and it only continues to make us seek more answers. Yeah. Um, Coming back around to caves now. Yes. Yeah, uh, so Allison, do you want to tell us what he does? <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know what Tyler does. <laughs> I don't either. So, I mean. now, what was the word that you I'll enjoyed be, saying? Oh, how often do you get to say, "Are you a spelunker"? <laughs> uh, do, I, did the caving start before the paranormal, or did it oh, did it yeah, develop after? You know, it's interesting. So that is something that did develop after, and the caves did it too. And well, well, here there's actually a lot of strangeness with that because you would think it should have started before. So when I mentioned being from a small northern town, where I had my first experiences, I actually come from a town with um, a history of mining, <laughs> particularly copper mining, hmm. um, which is curious. So we're one hmm. of the largest uh, producers of copper in the world, actually. But even though I grew up with that history, it kind of has that numbing effect where when you grow up around something, you don't really think about it. Sure, it's right. in a blind spot. So I never thought about the mines. In mm. fact, and it's not like there were any that were open. You couldn't explore them. They don't really exist anymore. Mm. That stuff, I, I should clarify, the, the mining has since gone. Mm. So the towns are kind of in that depressed state of what once was. Mm. Um, it's just the UP and the UP. It yeah, is the yeah, UP. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. see, look at that. We have a. It's funny. I was like, maybe I'll try to not say where. I like, <laughs> up on it. I actually appreciate that. But yeah, yeah. It was in the UP. Very proud of where I am. Though, yeah. From. <laughs> so it wasn't something I thought about because this is something you grew up hearing a lot. Yeah. But given the nature of where this research has led, and given the development of things like the Hellier case, I actually took a job at a cave completely inexperienced to learn how to cave properly uh, just yeah. to benefit that case. So wow. it was kind of oh, like my... Wow. 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 It was kind of like my undercover mission to That's cool. to gain um, knowledge in, in that field. So just to hit an interesting, hellier note in terms of what people may see if, if they do happen to check out that documentary, there's an episode under the title called The unknown country and in that episode believe it or not is actually the first time i ever entered a cave oh, when, wow. when, when greg and i did recon on this episode it was actually the first time i had ever stepped foot inside of a cave that was seemingly filled with monsters <laughs> uh, which is why we're very inexperienced we don't have any helmets or any protective gear but what's interesting is by the end of season two in that final episode I already have three years under my belt at that point. Oh. So not long after we entered that first cave, I got this job working in a cave as a cavern guide, and I worked that job for three to four years and have continued since. I've been caving for about five, six years mm -hmm. at this point, and I've gained a lot of experience in it both with learning you know, geology, aspects of geology, and just knowing how expansive these things are. There's truly entire worlds beneath people's feet there are entire worlds underneath your feet and i don't think most people understand the scope of what these places are truly like and a lot of that is because of how pop culture paints these places and and, and there's also been revelations like great revelations with how hidden these locations are you know you you watch a television show where someone comes across a cave and it's this large door, perfect doorway opening. Right, you just walk right, in. Yeah, yeah. 
not a, very few caverns are like that. In my experience, there you could be standing three feet away from one and not see it. Yeah. They're they're little cracks in a stone that you have to squeeze your body into until right. it opens up into a large chamber, or it's concealed with vegetation. You got to get on your hands and knees and mm-hmm. crawl. You know, like these things are so well hidden, and there are so many of these places that are not discovered. It's just really given me an appreciation for all these hidden aspects of nature and understanding that they all kind mm. of intermesh with one another and build this kind of beautiful tapestry of how these mysteries continue to survive. So I do personally believe that the underground plays a role in these paranormal aspects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, now, that's not to say that it's the be-all, tell-all. I don't necessarily think these things are physical, so why should physical spaces matter? But they do matter because they are symbols, Mm -hmm. you know? They're also symbols, and and they intersect with our own journeys. So to have these liminal spaces that you really need to work toward to find and enter, you know, and and brave, you know, the dangers of them, you know, is, is very impactful. It's been a great journey for me. Of all the things, it's funny, Tim, you mentioned earlier like how has this changed you that element in and of itself is the thing that's changed me the most is the people i've met and the journeys i've been on in the underground are quite literally no different than unveiling other worlds because mm-hmm. there are other worlds yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. so it's uh you know it, it's been a beautiful journey in in, in that regard but and you I, have so many ancient cultures that speak of the underworld as a literal thing. And you have, like, uh, Native Americans who talk about the ant people yeah, who yep. took them underground so they could survive the last cataclysm. And yeah. it's like, okay, that, that doesn't seem like something they just made up. They're telling this like it's history. Mm-hmm. So who were the ant people, you know? <laughs> and where did they bring them? What else is there that we just don't even know about? It's fascinating stuff. And, and that's funny, too, like, when you talk about the underworld... It's such a simple word, and we're all desensitized to it because we, we grew up hearing it. But you just break it down into two words, under world. It's the world underneath you. That's yeah. the, you know. So it's mm-hmm. like that's the basic concept of, of some of that. It's like that is, there's, uh, there's other realms beneath your feet. And, and it's interesting because, you know, I know a lot of what we're talking about here at this table, you know, doesn't necessarily have to deal with the physical. And I do believe there's a large aspect to this strangeness and the underground that is largely not physical. So, like, I don't, just for clarity, I don't necessarily believe that if you enter a cavern, Mm. you're just going to find some undiscovered hidden utopia that exists inside the earth. I I don't necessarily think that's true. I don't necessarily think there's a physical place you're going to find. But that doesn't mean that there aren't experiences where those who perceived that experience, it didn't seem that way to them. Sure. You know, like I think there's altered states and I think there's experiences like any other experience, whether it be seeing a, a Bigfoot or seeing a UFO or seeing a poltergeist. I think there are things that are seen that one can experience when you confront the underground that can look that way because mm-hmm, something's yeah. making you perceive it that way mm-hmm. and uh you know I, I think there's interesting doorways that are to be opened or at least one could seemingly try to and that's what uh i'm trying to do in the mm-hmm. underground 
Do you want to tell the story about your friend with the rock? Oh, man. I could. Because that's a good story. I've been holding on to this one as a secret, but uh, I, I, I can I can divulge it here. All so, right. We'll crowbar it out of you. So, <laughs> when I worked as a cave guide for three to four years, you know, I worked with a lot of great people there, some of which had worked at this location for over a decade. Uh, one of those people was a maintenance man. Won't say his name, but uh, he he was a maintenance man who worked in this cavern for about twelve to fifteen years. Mm-hmm. He was a no nonsense guy. He was very practical, which is why he was the perfect guy for the job to fix anything that went wrong in the cave, whether it be a burnt out light bulb or any other kind of mechanical issue. He was kind of a, a jack of all trades. He had never experienced anything strange, you know, like through the grapevine of me being a curious person and asking about these things. I I know that as such. But I I went to work one morning. Uh, Our job started at 9 o'clock. We typically arrive at 8. And around 9.30, I just got done with some opening chores. And our maintenance guy was upstairs and he was visibly shaken. And people (laughs) at the front desk were like, did you hear what happened uh, to so-and-so? I'm like, no, what happened? Well, they tell me this story. And I went to this guy as well to get his take. And what happened while he was underground inside this cave, he was working on a passage that was titled The Devil's Staircase. (laughs) The reason why this passage had that name is because it was a a short tunnel, a branch, uh, a side branch tunnel, they had a dead end, but that dead end terminated in about a 40-foot vertical chasm that back in the day, before this was a show cave, spelunkers would actually scale up with just their hands and knees mm. to traverse, to crawl into this upper passage. Wow. So they called it the, the Devil's Staircase. His particular job at this point in time was to create an electrical water pump system to illustrate how in the ancient past water at one time formed the waterfall to create this chasm. So we would turn this switch on and water would cascade down the wall for education purposes. Not only did he have to install this water pump, but he also had to create new light fixtures inside the cave so people could see the ground that they're walking on. And the way these light fixtures were created is they were all set up, they were light bulbs, ambient light, that were projecting out of rock cairns. So a stack of rocks piled up to conceal any electrical wires and things like that mm. to make it more... So he's know. making little ritual structures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, unbeknownst to him. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just to, just to spruce things up so it's not so jarring to kind of not take people out of the, the occasion. So in order to conceal these wires and to make these light fixtures... This guy was walking up these steps that was parallel to this tunnel. At the top of these steps was an area of the cavern that had very nice dry sand, like a pile of very loose sand, no rock debris inside of it. So he was taking buckets of the sand and he was mixing it inside of the cement that he was using to conceal the wires so that it would be color matched to the cavern. While he is grabbing one of these buckets of sand on this upper level, He looks over to a rock ledge that has a previously built rock cairn. And this rock cairn has a loose, nice solid chunk of limestone beside it. 
that's not part of the structure. He looks at it and he realizes that it would be great to use in the new one that he's making in this other passage. He doesn't carry it down with him since he has these buckets in hand, so instead he picks it up and places it off to a different side on a different ledge so that he can see it more visibly and grab it later. He goes back to work in his tunnel, uses up the cement and the sand, and needs to fill the bucket up again. He leaves the tunnel, walks up the steps to the sand pit. He looks over at the rock, and the rock that's on that ledge is now split into two pieces separated by about two and a half inches. This weirds him out because there's seemingly no reason this solid chunk of limestone should have split that way. And he kind of gets the sense that somebody is playing a prank on him. But he also knows it doesn't make sense because he's down inside the cave alone and nobody's around, let alone the fact that if anybody were to pull a prank on him, they would have to be able to read his mind and know mm-hmm. what he was going to do with the rock. Right. But mm-hmm. he kind of brushes it off. Again, this is he's a no-nonsense guy. He just chalks it up to happenstance. Maybe it just split somehow. So he goes back down the steps, goes back into his tunnel. He's mixing up more cement. And while he's mixing cement right behind him in this darkened passage, he hears what sounds like a little boy laugh right behind his ear. (laughs) So he quickly turns around, and there's nobody there. Did the boy ask him to look on the shelf? (laughs) the little boy unfortunately did not (laughs) so the maintenance guy is freaked out and he's thinking is this a little kid that wandered down this passage you know from a family tour that's right outside the tunnel because a tour if there was one would be going right outside of the passage he's working down however this passage at this point in time is off limits and closed because he's working in it he goes out to the mouth of the tunnel and nobody is down there. Not only is there no family tour, but there actually wouldn't be another tour for the next 20 minutes. And he starts getting a really creepy feeling. The hairs on his arms are standing up. And he gets the sensation that somebody or something is watching him. And he doesn't normally have these feelings. But he tries to shrug it off. And to get his mind straight, he grabs his bucket and he goes to fill it up with more sand. And when he goes up to grab more, he looks over at that ledge again and looks at that rock that he placed there. And it is now split into three pieces separated by two inches. (laughs) (laughs) So that was enough for him. So (laughs) I'm I'm thinking, like, when you first told me this story, and it it was... Tyler and I have had four-hour conversations (laughs) starting at midnight (laughs) several times. And I remember you telling me the story, and you, you first told me, and I thought, well, maybe there was like a pressure fracture or something, and he set it down. So the first crack, maybe, sure. right? Yeah. Unlikely, yeah. but maybe. Yeah. Sure. The sure. second one, uh-uh. Very strange. Well, yeah. uh, well yeah. and here's the thing, too. It's like, even with the pressure crack, this was a rock. There, there was even a guy that tested it. This particular chunk of limestone was so durable, you could hit it with a geology hammer, and the hammer would spark off oh, the rock. Oh, wow. 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 It was very solid. And even if it was, like, say even the first crack, even if it was, like, a pressurized thing, how would it separate, like, by two inches? Yeah, that's... You know, I I had him, so, for clarity, after this happened, I went down there immediately with a backpack. I took photographs of this rock. 
I wrapped the individual pieces of this rock in um, the paper that we use in the bathrooms. <laughs> and I stowed it away. I actually own this object, which is one of the most incredible things I own, even though to anyone else's eye, it's just a rock or pieces of rock. But I did have him go down and like explain, you know, like what happened beat by beat and show me how much the rock was separated. Very interesting and very much in line with, you know, Tommyknocker folklore sure. from the area, yeah, which very much is prevalent in Pennsylvania and the mines and the caves. Mm-hmm. So, for for those who may not know what Tommyknockers are, you know they're these kind of mischievous goblin type characters that inhabit the mines and caves, and they like to pull pranks on miners. Sometimes they take, you know, pieces of their food or they hide tools. Sometimes they allegedly warn miners of impending collapse, you know, but there's certainly a trickster element, and and this very much hits the hallmarks of that. And, like, this maintenance guy didn't know that stuff either, you know, but he's very much experiencing this modern folklore of this thing that's been carried here into this state for years, you know, And, and I think that's, it's so fascinating. But, you know, it's not the only thing that's happening there. I'm sorry if that was a long-winded Well, tell what happened story. a year later. Oh, so you're right. <laughs> sorry. So, this is really interesting. And very much also aligns with this kind of fairy folklore idea. So, after I took these photographs, I did a little write-up online about it in, in like, an Instagram post. Posted it to both my Instagram posts and my Facebook And, you know, I forgot about it. You know, I continued to work there over the year and the next year. So an entire year goes by. I'm off of work on this particular day. And Facebook Memories actually posts the photos of when I took pictures of this shattered rock in the cave. I'm like, oh, no kidding, that was a year ago. I was off of work that day, so I wasn't in the cave. So... I took out my phone and I texted one of my friends who worked there. And all I said is I said, hey, check for strangeness in the cave today. This guy who's working calls me immediately and he's freaking out. He goes, why did you just text me that? He's like, you're freaking me out. Why would you say that? And I'm like, why are you freaking out? (laughs) And he goes, I was down into the lower part of the cavern, which doesn't have lights. I was leading a cave tour, a deep cave tour. He goes, and my entire group, including myself, we all heard what sounded like little girls laughing and running through the cavern. <laughs> and I'm like, that is so strange. So, like, he didn't even realize why I texted him that. And it pertains to that laughter that yeah, the maintenance yeah. guy heard. So, it also makes me think about the whole fairy legends, you know, like things like fairy rings and someone's trapped inside of them yeah. you can pull out the person that's trapped inside after a year and a day mm-hmm. yep. because that's when they kind of reappear even though there's yep. this time dilation yeah. you know it's like all that passage of time is just one moment mm-hmm. and, and and I can't help but think is that just one moment sure. to these things that yeah. are inhabiting yeah. the caves like is, is a, a year it, and it could have been I actually would have to check to see if it was a year and a day or if it was just a year. It might have actually been at, 
specifically a year and a day because I don't know if I uploaded those immediately that oh, same okay. day. Yeah, okay. I think I may have did like because because like I'm one of those people. I have OCD, so like sometimes I'll have something that I'm like I really want to post this, but I have to think about it. Yeah. So I I actually think it was specifically a year and a day from when I posted that, but I didn't I didn't realize that like when it shared the memory. But it very much pertains to that kind of oh, yeah. distorted time cycle, mm-hmm. you know. So that's just one tale from the underground. Tale so. from the underground. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything you're working on that you can tell us about? Oh God. Well, I feel bad because I don't have a great platform for people to follow just yet. But I am working on um, getting a Patreon up and running, just so people can see all the kind of different art that I work on. Because I am an artist, and a lot of that art pertains to these topics. So you can keep an eye out for that, and you can keep an eye out for updates on that if you were to follow me at BlackWolf26 on Instagram. There you go. Um, if people aren't familiar with, like, they might know the hell your goblin head, mm-hmm. which you sculpted, which is amazing. Oh, yes. I, I'm actually super happy you brought that up. A lot of people actually don't know I made right. that. Right, yeah, yeah. So, So for those of you who may be fans of Hellier or will be fans of Hellier, um, when you see the creature on the poster art for that, that is actually a physical sculpture that I created. And I created that sculpture specifically with that case in mind. And even that has its own interesting kind of synchronistic story, which is uh, what I like to bring to this kind of art field. You know, like in Hellier, there's this guy who is experiencing these kinds of creatures in the beginning uh, that sent these emails and his creatures very much sound like typical gray aliens Um, and there's even blurry photographs of these things of course because you always need a blurry Mm -hmm. photograph when dealing with the paranormal Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but in this photo and his description he talks about how these things are small and pale they don't have hair and they have thin lipless mouths and round bird-like eyes he doesn't talk about a presence of ears, but in this documentary, we, we make some allusions to how it sort of connects and sounds similar to the Hopkinsville Goblin incident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those creatures depicted in, in that incident very much have very large ears, yeah. very prominent ears. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to make an amalgamation of something that had callbacks to the Kentucky Goblins while also adhering to David's description of the thin lipless mouth and the the round bird-like eyes. So I kind of took those ears, scaled them down to a more viable, I don't know, anatomy, so to speak, and made something that looked like it could be real, you know, something that could exist. And uh, I wanted to have a generalized but vague feeling about it, something that, depending on who's looking, it could appear fairy-like or it could be a space alien Mm -hmm. or a spaceman you know that's kind of the the terms i kept in my mind when i was designing it but i am the one who designed that particular creature and and the way that it looks on that poster and um it's really interesting and um honorable how many people have incorporated that image into their own artworks so I, I think it's incredible to have art that inspires other artists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I want to continue to do that. So if you guys follow me and uh, look at what I do, you know, I'm, I'm nothing but a creative as I learn how to navigate this strange world while I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I want to give a shout out here to all of my patrons. 
It is because of you that this show is possible. And I want to give a shout out to those pledging $10 or more. Greg Ross, Billuminati, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Anne Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Legend of the Crazy Incommunicable, CJ, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, Jay, Jay Otto Bullitt, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K., MJ Armstrong, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, Stevie Norman, Jack Huntington, Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Matthew, Andrew Malone, Stacy Sherwood, Strange Stories with the Seeker and Skeptic Podcast, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Varosh K., Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT Skunkworks, a crocodile, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very, very much. There is a Patreon-only segment to go along with this show. Uh, and I also want to give a shout-out to all the people I met at Albatwitch. It wasn't a ton because uh, I got there about 5 o'clock after a torrential downpour, and everything was muddy, and a lot of people didn't really show up because, well, it was raining all day long, and that kind of sucked. Uh, but I did get to meet to meet a few listeners, and that was uh, very enjoyable, as it always is. And uh, meeting uh, Tyler Strand and doing the show with him was was quite a bit of fun. So, uh, yeah. Uh, overall, I think that was a very successful trip uh, and pretty eventless on the traveling, a.k.a. no deer that I'm aware of. I mean, they could have been there, but they, they didn't run in front of me. So we're all good with that. Want to shout out to a new Patreon this week, Stevie Norman. So thank you for joining up. I hope you like the extra content. If you want to become a patron, www.wheredidtheroadgo.com and just click on the big Patreon link. It's only $3 a month and you get extra content every single week. And the show's a week ahead of everyone else as well. All right, that's about it. Um, I'm going to take you out with something from Tim. One of his Stone Breath releases, this one being the Etheric Lamp. 2011 and we're going to hear the sleeping rise see you next time
You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support. <laughs>